You're listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Our guest today writes, Lauded and lionized for thousands of years, it is featured in the lives, loves, and letters of some of the most famous men in history. Shakespeare, Casanova, George Bernard Shaw, to name only a few. Of what does our guest write? Welcome to the ReachMD Book Club. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt, author of You Can Think Like a Psychiatrist, your host, and with me today is Dr. Anya Collier. Dr. Collier is an assistant professor of English at the University of Maryland. She holds degrees in European history, international business, and English education. Welcome to ReachMD, Dr. Collier. Oh, thank you very much, Leslie. It's a pleasure to be with you. Now, what led you to writing a whole book about the condom? Nine years ago, um, I was doing some historical research for a couple of uh, fictional writers who occasionally over the years have asked me to, you know, to make sure that their fiction is correct. Historically speaking, it's just a good fun for me, not a, you know, big money maker, but... One of those asked me if she could have her naughty heroine performing something other than her daytime duties as a tailoress, and she wanted her to be a tailoress of condoms. And it was all very funny, and it turned out that she was a soft porn writer, and I'd never even heard of the genre, but it it gave me a good chuckle. And actually, when I got over my red face and I went digging, I realized that there wasn't really a history of this. And so it, it just it caught my imagination. So over an over eight-year period, I just dug and dug and dug and dug some more and found it absolutely fascinating. Eight years? Yes. Wow. Well, I have to admit, I've never really thought about the history of the condom, and who knew it was so complex? Why don't you tell us where the condom originated? Well, the, the jury's out on that, but as far as written history, written into documents, clearly the Egyptians knew, understood, and used the condom. They made them out of uh, fine papyrus, very fine animal skin. There have been uh, examples found in uh, tombs of very wealthy aristocrats. So we know that they had them. We know that the Greeks used something on the order of a condom, very much out of the same fabrics, if you will. And the Romans also seem to have picked it up. And it appears that it's shared knowledge, if you will. So it kind of follows the history of who conquered whom over years, and then they sort of pass that knowledge on. And then we kind of come to a, a break there in the Middle Ages onto the Renaissance when it appears that though we still have it, it's, it's almost as if it's being reinvented as opposed to being passed on, if that makes any sense. So at least back to the Egyptians, but it could even have been earlier. So it sounds like the cultures used whatever material they had handy, even papyrus? <laughs> <laughs> well, it sounds very stiff, doesn't it? But actually it can be made very soft and very pliable. It just has to be, you know, it would be the, only the very best. Did Hippocrates recommend condoms? No, he was um, a bit of a misogynist. He felt it was really the woman's duty to deal with birth control and like, and he recommended a lot of different herbals and even abortifacants. He was definitely very much in the Greek vein. They weren't shy about the concept of abortion, if all else, you know, all other things faded or failed, and all methods failed, then uh, abortion was the last. They were perfectly comfortable with that idea. But no, it doesn't appear that he was pro-condom man. One of the many things I learned from your book was about sex practices of the Romans, and you weave it in really nicely with how Latin and language developed. And uh, one of the things that caught my fancy was the derivation of the word fornicate. Right, right. 
Yes, that actually comes from fornis, which is a, an architectural, Roman architectural term. And fornices were these sort of little hidey holes that were created out of the beautiful arches that the Romans were so famous for. And prostitutes who either didn't work from a brothel or work for a pimp but were on their own would often go into the circus, into the big buildings, looking for trade. And when they found something, they just scoot off into these kind of little hidey holes, these fornices, and turn a trick or two. And that's where we get that word fornicate, public sex. Wow, from an architectural term. Yeah, go figure. Now tell us what a victory condom is. Oh, well, it's a legend. I couldn't absolutely tell you on the stack of Bibles, which is absolutely true, but I found it in quite some interesting sources. Roman soldiers, supposedly, when they had won a battle and there were fallen enemies on the ground, some soldiers were supposedly would either take a piece of muscle from a fallen soldier or skin, and they'd kind of pull it out and dry it out and turn it into a condom to show this sort of very macho, very rather deeply psychological, I guess, show sort of the ultimate conquering of another man. Huh, so turning the skin from the victim into a condom. Right, yeah. Huh. There's no uh, telling how the women felt who has <laughs> 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 reached the end. <laughs> <laughs> well, women do kind of get the short shift here in the early centuries, don't they? Oh, very definitely, always, yes. Now, when was the condom considered a strategy to prevent disease, not just pregnancy? Well, it does appear that the Romans were really smart about that. Roman soldiers couldn't be too picky about their sexual, you know, their bedmates, and camp followers have been, you know, renowned for forever for being disease carriers. So it would appear that Roman soldiers, who were often supplied with the chyca, the, the intestine of goats, who traveled with them because they supplied milk, cheese, that sort of thing. So when they were slaughtered, the intestine could be turned into, one goat could provide an awful lot of condoms. And uh, definitely that appears to be the heart of the sort of first STD condom, if you will. If you're just joining our discussion, you're listening to ReachMD, XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt, your host, and with me today is Dr. Anya Collier. We are discussing her book, The Humble Little Condom. Now, of course, our listeners know all about fallopian tubes, but I didn't realize that that namesake figure entered into the condom's history. How so? Yeah, well, Gabriel Fallopio, hence Fallopian, was an Italian doctor, university lecturer, and he actually wrote the first treatise on uh, syphilis. And he was the first to to say, after syphilis broke out in the 1490s, some 60 years later, just after he died, someone else published his treatise, De Morbo Gallico. But it was all about, how about we stop wondering you know, how to solve the problem after it's happened and we look for prevention. So De Fallopio actually thought that he was the inventor of the condom and he hired seamstresses to cut out linen and then they put little holes around the edge, and then they wove in pink ribbon around that. And then he also had the linen. He soaked the linen in a, a chemical solution, believing that that would also be sort of secondary preventative. And he hired a thousand men, and he watched them closely, if you will, and uh, tested out his theory that this would be a preventative against syphilis. And he swore up and down that not one of his men, though they were sexually active, contacted the disease. 
So he thought of himself as the father of the condom. And and it is fair to say that he is the father of the modern condom. Yeah, and a very nice prospective study to boot. Yes. But what about pink ribbons? Ribbon's a funny man. I think he was a bit of a pervert, too. But he felt that that really was a bit of a nod to the feminine taste. And strangely, it, it stuck. Silk ribbon was... You know, you know, you can think of all the different things you could use. The tie didn't have to be silk ribbon, but that actually remained in vogue into the 19th century because clearly a piece of gut or a piece of linen or a piece of papyrus, whatever, that's not going to stay on with some kind of anchor. So it's a very primitive, but again, something that lasted for years. This is a primitive way of keeping the, the condom on. If you're just joining our discussion, you're listening to ReachMD, XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt. Your host and with me today is Dr. Anya Collier. We're discussing her book, The Humble Little Condom. Now, Dr. Collier, tell us about the Japanese and how they chose to use condoms. Well, they're very interesting. They call them kawagatas, which means penis sack. It translates to penis sack. And they were using them hundreds of years prior to fallopio, more for birth control than anything else. But I think my favorite Japanese penis sack, if you will, was one that was created by celibate Shinto priests starting in the 8th century. And they did a kind of origami, but they called it kokogami. And they would make these beautiful, elaborate penis coverings in the shapes of what they called zero animals. And they even wrote out scripts for the men to read and, and women. And uh, really, to the modern minds, kind of just so out there, but really fascinating to read about. They would hand these out to people who apparently were having a problem in the bedroom, and they suggested all these different positions and told the men to, to think of themselves as the great lion. And they put these things on, and the they couldn't possibly have been terribly practical to wear throughout, but they were supposed to make a man feel terribly virile and a woman feel like she had been captured by this, this very strong and virile animal. <laughs> and this from celibate priests. I love it. Now, how about the word condom? Where does that originate? That's been pondered by not many, but some for a long time. The origins are not absolutely known. It's probably a derivative of an old Latin term, condus, which means preservative and receptacle all at once, which makes lots of sense. But the legend of Dr. Condom or Colonel Condom has stuck, and it's even in some dictionaries up to today. Supposedly during Charles II's return and during the Reformation, his his courtiers were known as real sexual rogues, And Charles II, as military leaders before him and after him, always worried about his soldiers catching the clap. And supposedly his personal physician, who was also supposedly a colonel named Condom, invented a preservative to prevent one courtiers from having too many bastards and two soldiers from, you know, catching things that would take them out of the, you know, the military service. But... That's not true at all. First of all, it's not a real name, but it makes a good story. But it appears definitely to have come from the Latin preservative or receptacle. If we go on a bit more with the legend, since it's such a good story, what eventually does happen to Dr. Condom? Well, they say that the whole story says that his invention was so popular 
and so we get back to the louded and the lionized, that the word got out that this Dr. Colonel had invented this thing to go on a man's penis. So he got so much notoriety from this, he was terribly embarrassed, embarrassing for him. So he went underground and was never heard of again. Well, thank you so much for being a guest on our show today. It was my pleasure. We've been discussing the history of the condom as told in her book, The Humble Little Condom, with its author, Dr. Anya Collier. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt. You've been listening to the ReachMD Book Club on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. We welcome your questions and comments. Please visit us at reachmd.com. Our new on-demand and podcast features will allow you to access our entire program library. Thank you for listening.